No one thinks to consider epilepsy as a possible consequence of exposure to nuclear radiation. So when a nurse who grew up near Rocky Flats in Colorado posts an online questionnaire for those who grew up in or live in the area, and after only two weeks can report, I have 47 confirmed cases. Siblings is a very rare thing with epilepsy. There's almost no chance that there's going to be a family who has siblings where more than one of the children has epilepsy. I have about eight sets of siblings, one of which is three siblings, which is absolutely unheard of. When you hear information like that, there is no doubt that we are all of us stuck in the exact same seat. Nuclear hot seat, what are those people thinking? Nuclear hot seat, what have those boys been drinking? Nuclear hot seat, the corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking, but our activists are linking. Nuclear hot seat. It's the bomb. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly international news magazine keeping you up to date on all things nuclear from a different perspective. My name is Libby Halevi. I'm the producer and host, as well as a survivor of the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island from just one mile away. So I know what can happen when those nuclear so-called experts get it wrong. This week, we put the Nuclear Hot Seat Spotlight on the plutonium contamination of Rocky Flats in Colorado and its ongoing dangers to public health. We'll revisit early results from the Rocky Flats Health Survey with Kristen Iverson, author of the brilliant book Full Body Burden, Growing Up in the Shadow of Rocky Flats. Then breaking information of a possible link between epilepsy and exposure to radiation. We'll talk with Rocky Flats Downwinders co-founder, Tiffany Hansen, and Danny Ball, a nurse and newly minted activist whose focus on epilepsy is waking us up to yet another possible health nightmare caused by exposure to ionizing radiation from Rocky Flats and maybe elsewhere. Today is Tuesday, August 22, 2017, and here is the week's nuclear news from a different perspective. The Rocky Flats plant was a former nuclear weapons production facility in Colorado, near both Boulder and Denver. It operated from 1952 to 1992 and left behind a toxic radioactive legacy made worse by numerous fires at the site which dispersed plutonium and other deadly radionuclides in the smoke and ash. Declared a Superfund site, the cleanup has been long and controversial as the U.S. Department of Energy, U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, and the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment have all concluded that the cleanup has been effective. The government even turned it into a wildlife refuge. But there have long been stories of illnesses, cancers, mutations, problems of all kinds in those who lived near and worked in the facility. And none of that showed up in these assessments by the government agencies. A new health study, begun in May 2016, has just released preliminary results, and they are stunning. To find out more, 
I spoke with Kristen Iverson. She is author of the acclaimed book, Full Body Burden, Growing Up in the Nuclear Shadow of Rocky Flats. We've previously interviewed Kristen about Rocky Flats on Nuclear Hot Seat number 222, which aired on September 22nd of 2015. Here, she gives us the lowdown on this recent health study and what its preliminary findings indicate, as well as how we can respond in a way that helps those impacted by the radioactive releases. Kristen Iverson, thank you so much for joining us today on Nuclear Hot Seat. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Tell us about the Rocky Flats Health Survey. What is it and how long has this assessment been going on? This is really a very new thing that has just happened, although it is long, long overdue. The way it started really was when my book first came out, I uh, was inundated with emails from people who are sick. And, of course, in my neighborhood where I grew up near Rocky Flats and when I was working at Rocky Flats, we always heard lots of stories. Um, My sisters and I grew up with the idea that cancer was just very commonplace. There was cancer in almost every home in our neighborhood. But when my book came out, all the stories and emails that I had gotten slowly over the years, all of a sudden there was just a deluge of hundreds, thousands of stories. And uh, so every time that I would do a presentation or speak at a university or something, I would say, we need to have more studies. There has never been an epidemiological study of people who live around Rocky Flats. There are a lot of sick people, a lot of sick animals and pets, and we need a new study. We need an independent study. So last spring, Carol Jensen with Metropolitan State University and others at at, uh, Colorado State University and uh, other interested parties, including the Rocky Flats Downwinders, they initiated a new health study of people who live in areas around Rocky Flats or have lived in areas around Rocky Flats. So that study began as an online study. Thousands of people responded to that. And just about uh, three weeks ago, we got the preliminary results of that study, and they were pretty stunning. And we did a couple of community meetings and a press conference in Denver. And then I recently spoke in Washington, D.C. about the preliminary results of this new health study, which indeed contradicts what the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment has found in the past. Tell us a bit about what they say has been found in the past and what has turned up as a result of these preliminary results of the study. Well, the preliminary results are, are in fact, pretty stunning. Let me back up a little bit and say there have been studies in the past that have shown a higher incidence of cancers and and other radiation-related illnesses around Rocky Flats, particularly beginning with Dr. Carl Johnson, who was uh, director of the Jefferson County Health Department for a period of time. And some of those studies have indeed been validated, but they're always countered by studies funded by the Department of Energy or Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, And those studies would say, "Mm, you know, there's not really a danger here. There's no reason to be concerned. Any cancer that we see in the area is um, relative to other cancers that we see in Colorado. Well, this new health study shows that that is not the case. This new study has found significantly higher levels of cancers and other illnesses that tend to be related to radiation. And the most specific things that the study found was a much higher rate of thyroid cancer, 
and a much higher rate of rare cancers and disorders, including blood disorders, that tend to be related to radioactive contamination. Um, and of course, we had other types of contamination out there as well, a great deal of carbon tetrachloride and other VOCs and things like that. So some of those illnesses, you know, they're not all of them necessarily tied to plutonium in particular, but certainly plutonium is the most dangerous thing that we have been exposed to. That was one of the things that struck me, this extremely long list of the so-called rare cancers, which constituted more than 48% of the total number of cancers reported. And I don't know about you, but every time I hear the phrase rare cancer, I think, okay, where's the source of nuclear radiation, ionizing radiation? Has any kind of a pattern been found in the results? Is there any kind of footprint or indication of the impact of the radiation in the local community? Well, I think one of the more interesting things that the study has found thus far, and of course let me preface this by saying that uh, these are preliminary results only and we'll have to wait for the final results um, to see what's really there, but the study shows patterns of illness in rings around the plant as... Um, you know, as I think we kind of anticipated, you know, five mile, 10 mile, 20 mile kind of radius. But what it's showing that I don't think anyone really anticipated is that the patterns of illness tend to follow the pattern of the plumes from the 1957 and the 1969 fires. Now, of course, there were many fires at Rocky Flats, more than 200 fires over the course of 38 years, but those two fires were the biggest and they were so big, they, uh, the measuring equipment and the filtering equipment both were burned out, so we will never know exactly how much contamination spread over the metro Denver area from those two fires. Um, but we do know the plume, and that plume is mapped quite clearly based on Department of Energy information, and uh, what we're seeing thus far is that patterns of illness tend to follow the pattern of that particular plume. What does that speak to in terms of relevance of this report? Does it reveal something that we need to understand about the way these plumes and the contamination run? Well, I think for one thing, it certainly demonstrates the fact that, that this type of contamination cannot be contained. It can't be contained on site. It can't be contained uh, within particular areas. You know, once it's out, it's out. And this is, of course, in Colorado, it's all dependent upon the, the wind patterns and how the winds come down off those mountains, the Chinook winds in particular, and move across that land and take all of that contamination over Arvada and related areas near, you know, where I grew up in those areas, but then on over the metro Denver area. And then onto the state border, you know, um, it doesn't stop at the, at the state border. It goes on from there. It's quite a dramatic, it's a very dramatic map of contamination. You know, one thing that points to is, is the need to take a close look in terms of health effects, not just at neighborhoods within 5, 10, 20, 30 miles of Rocky Flats. Certainly that 10-mile radius is pretty significant. But on over the metro Denver area, we see the plume um, extending in a very specific way. We also saw some interesting things up around Broomfield. And at this point, it's only uh, speculation, of course, but 
that might be tied to some of the problems they had with Great Western Reservoir, which was eventually closed due to contamination from plutonium and also tritium. And there have been some um, ongoing concerns in that area as well. And, and so there are little clusters of illness up around Broomfield, which is up north of where we see most of the other illnesses. How has this information been received by the local community and hopefully by those in government who have some power to do something about it? In Colorado, on the local level, reception has been mixed, I would say, and I certainly understand the great diversity of feelings that people might have about a study like this. Of course, there is great concern and worry from people who live in the area, who have children. Let me emphasize that many of the illnesses and health effects that we're seeing are not just from people in their 60s or their 50s or their 40s or people who were you know, living in the area when the plant was in operation. But we see illnesses from people in their in their 20s, in their 30s, and children. There's a lot of new home development around Rocky Flats, and of course, many of those families are young families, and they move into the into the area, and they have uh, no idea what's happened or why they should be concerned. But we're seeing illnesses there. So I think in Colorado, people are concerned, people are scared, people are worried that they have not been informed fully, informed certainly about the risk of living in the area. And then we also have people are feeling um, very much in a kind of a catch-22 with the fact that there's all this new housing development, new families are moving in, they've invested. I've heard from so many people who've moved into the area, they invest their life savings into a house, they don't realize that there is any risk associated with it. And they're afraid to speak up. People are worried about home values of some people. And so that gets into the mix as well. There's so much pressure out there for home development and business development and a push to um, just forget that Rocky Flats ever happened, pretend that there is no risk, and that's certainly where the developers and to a certain extent government agencies would like us to go in that direction. So the results were met in Colorado with some concern and some controversy. And then recently when I spoke in Washington, D.C. and shared these results and talked to people there, there was a kind of, well, of course. Um, I think people outside of Colorado on a national and even international level understand more fully what happened at Rocky Flats, what happened with the environment and the ongoing health legacy and why we need to be concerned. I think this is going to be an important study. It may lead us to a direct correlation between radioactive contamination and very specific health effects. There's a deep parallel for me between what is happening with Rocky Flats, which are the effects of contamination that goes back to... When did it start there? Was that the early 50s? I think about 1952? 1952, right. Mm-hmm. And what the people of North St. Louis are going through with their contamination that they've been dealing with since 1942 and the inappropriate dispersal of the radioactive materials there, that it seems that the further away we get from the initiating contamination and exposure, the more intense the health effects are, and that it almost could be plotted along a chart between what's happened there since 1942, what's happened in Rocky Flats since 1952. Has there been any attempt to coordinate the responses that people have been giving on their health between the various communities that have experienced exposure? 
One of the most important grassroots organizations to emerge in the last couple of years is Rocky Flats Downwinders. There have been many organizations concerned about health effects of Rocky Flats and what's happening in the environment and ongoing leaks at the plant and all of that, and they include the Rocky Mountain Peace and Justice Center, Candelis Glows, which is an organization concerned about the new home development out there, and various other really terrific organizations. But I think the first organization to kind of really bring all of these diverse groups together is Rocky Flats Downwinders, and certainly they have been a big part of this new study in making sure that information gets out to the public. What is the next step for this study? These are preliminary findings. What else is being put in the mix before there's some final destination for the study? Well, it's interesting. Once this information reached the news, uh, the newspaper and local television stations and that sort of thing, um, the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment responded with a letter to all of us at Rocky Flats Downwinders and said that they would indeed recognize that there was some concern and they intended to do a study of their own, although we didn't receive very many details about that. It turns out that uh, the study that they intend to do is quite limited in scope. They would like to have access to all of the information that the new health study has thus far. And I'm not sure what's going to happen with this. I know that Rocky Flats Downwinders has responded with a letter requesting that if the CDPHE does a new study, that they broaden the parameters, that they look at people who have lived in the area going all the way back to the 1960s and as much as that is possible to the present day and broaden the geographic area that they're going to study. However, I think it's also important, certainly my own personal feeling, is that it's very important to have an independent study. If CDPHE and DOE do a new study, that's terrific and very much needed. I think it's also necessary that we continue with an independent study organized and operated or managed by universities in the area with scientists who are independent from the Department of Energy and the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment. We're also looking at new independent soil studies in neighborhoods around the plant and really excited about that. And again, I think it's very important to have independent studies. It's great if CDPHE and DOE wants to do more studies. They're absolutely needed. And we need independent studies as well. So that's my hope that we continue to move forward in these two areas. And what I really hope to see is continued and further truth and transparency with respect to what happened at Rocky Flats and what is happening now. There's so much home development. They just broke down for a new elementary school out there. There are no signs. There is very little information for people who want to move into the area, and it's a beautiful area. It's a great place, you know, to grow up near Denver, near Boulder. The location is spectacular. People move into the area thinking that they're moving into a beautiful area, a great place to raise kids, and then they find out after they've signed the contract on the house that there may be some risk and perhaps significant risk associated with living out there and certainly with raising children. And there's no law that mandates that realtors in showing property disclose what potential risks there may be on the property? There is nothing specific that requires them to disclose what happened. Just three weeks ago, 
another writer, professor, friend of mine, we went out together out to the site and we toured some of the new home developments, frankly, just to see what real estate agents were telling people. And it was very interesting. And what we were told was that, and this was only when we asked about it, we were told that there were new trails, new schools. It was going to open as a national wildlife refuge. And wouldn't that be terrific? Deer and, you know, all that sort of thing. Trails, hiking, great for kids and all that. When we pressed the real estate agent about what might have happened there and, and would she be willing to tell us, We were told that there was a facility there, but it had been all cleaned up, and Rocky Flats was the most successful environmental cleanup in the country, in the history of the United States. That's what we were told, and that it was entirely safe. There was nothing to worry about. And your assessment of that statement? I think it's untrue. I think there are a lot of listeners to Nuclear Hot Seat who would agree with you. As regards that national preserve, Would you be willing to take a hike through there without hazmat equipment of any kind on you? I wouldn't go on that land. Um, We felt some trepidation tromping through the neighborhoods and looking at the new houses, which is directly adjacent to the site. And I suppose one thing that I keep in mind, there's a little bit of gallows humor here, given the fact that I worked at Rocky Flats and I grew up next to Rocky Flats. and, And the joke in my family has always been, well, Rocky Flats is why we all have such glowing personalities. (laughs) I mean, we, you know, we didn't know. And then the best that we can do now, and we've all had health issues, the best we can do now is just, you know, watch and um, keep track of things and try to stay informed and and keep my children informed and and we get our checkups and all of that. Um, Would I hike on the site? Absolutely not. And I can't tell you how many hundreds of workers local residents, um, lawyers, attorneys, scientists, so many people have said the same thing. It's not worth the risk. And it, it's very sad situation. It's beautiful land. But I think the, I think what must happen now is we've got to keep it closed. We've got to keep it closed and we've got to have more studies and studies over time. As you said, none of this happens immediately. The cancers and the illnesses that we're seeing take time and they're, they are passed on to generations or generational and, of course, some exposures continuing with the ongoing leaks and problems that they're having at the site currently. Anything else you would like to add at this time? I'd just like to add that I'm just very grateful for all of the people who are working in this area in Colorado and on a national level as well. It's a really difficult subject. Many of the people involved have they've worked at Rocky Flats, they've grown up in the area, they've seen the kinds of illnesses, you know, in their own families or for themselves. And and so I'm just very grateful for their dedication and their ongoing efforts. It's a long journey working in this area. Well, I'm very grateful to you for taking time out of what sounded like an excruciatingly busy schedule to (laughs) speak with me this morning and make yourself available to the listeners of Nuclear Hot Seat. Thanks so much, Libby. Thank you for having me. Author Kristen Iverson. We'll have a link to the Rocky Flats Health Survey up on our website, nuclearhotseat.com, under this episode, number 322. We'll also have a link to Kristen's website so that you can see more about her book, and if you haven't read it already, it is a terrific read. We'll have our second featured interview in just a moment, but first... Nuclear Hot Seat gets behind the scenes, under the skin, and into the heart of nuclear matters every week. 
with fresh information you will not find in mainstream media. Of course, in order to do so, we incur costs. That's the price of bringing you the nuclear news. So if you value the kind of information we provide, help us out by sending a donation of any size. We make it easy. Just go to NuclearHotSeat.com and click on the big red Donate button. There's also a big green Donate button that allows you to quickly set up a recurring donation of just $5 a month. So do what you can to help Nuclear Hot Seat to keep searching and sharing nuclear information that helps you to understand what's really going on. Whatever you can do to help, you have my gratitude. Our second interview also deals with health issues around Rocky Flats, but it introduces some new information that is just breaking. Tiffany Hansen is co-founder of Rocky Flats Downwinders, a community activist group that focuses on dangers faced by local residents as a result of living at or growing up next to that former plutonium facility. Danny Ball is a nurse who just recently connected with Tiffany and the Downwinders and brought with her a body of knowledge that is exploding out yet another possible health impact of exposure to plutonium and its ionizing radiation. Tiffany Hansen and Danny Ball, thank you so much for being with us this week on Nuclear Hot Seat. Thanks for having us. Hi. Tiffany, let's start with you. What is Rocky Flats and how did you get involved with it? I was involved with Rocky Flats and didn't even know it. Um, Rocky Flats was a nuclear weapons plant located near Arvada, Colorado, that operated between 1952 in 1992, and they made, I guess, over 30,000 plutonium triggers for nuclear weapons out there. And I also found out just about three and a half years ago that I lived less than three miles away from the plant and the most contaminated parts of the plant, which held buildings that were known to be at times the most contaminated building in the country was there called the Infinity Room. I found out quite by accident that I grew up within three miles from Rocky Flats. Actually, Google helped me discover that. I was researching my health problems that I was facing and the symptoms that I was having because I was I was having problems and, and they were unable to really tell me what was going on. So I just started that. I, I made that bad decision, but actually turned out to be a good decision um, when I plugged in those symptoms something with nuclear came up and I, I didn't, that didn't ring a bell to me. Um, and then I put Arvada in and nuclear waste and then there popped up Rocky Flats. And that's kind of how I found out about Rocky Flats. Kristen Iverson, I think you've had her as a guest. Several times on the show. She's a wonderful, wonderful source of information. Oh, amazing. And she actually took my call because when I first found out about this, I was just devastated and I felt like there was no support and I didn't know how to really process what I was learning about the plan and the workers being ill and, you know, the residents reporting illness for years, you know, and so her book was amazing. Details in her book were exactly very similar to my own life. So 
I reached out to her and, and she also showed that there was concern about the health problems. And I was just frustrated that there wasn't research done on people like Kristen and Danny and myself who grew up in the area when the plant was live so they could know what is the long-term effects for people like us. And no health studies have really been done. So Kristen was a great resource and very supportive as I started to move through eventually organizing as a community organization, the Rocky Flats Downwinders. People weren't really using the word downwinders with Rocky Flats. I did research and found other downwind communities that were facing similar problems like the Trinity site downwinders and Hanford downwinders and you know other communities that were organizing because they had occurrences of rare cancers and clusters and so I founded the, the Rocky Flats Downwinders with my husband in order to try to forward the research that's being done and get more information about really what is the impact of living so close to a nuclear weapons plant. Because I feel if they do more research about with people like Danny and Kristen and people that live there, Downwinders, they can make better choices today about developing out there, about decisions to have people recreate in the wildlife refuge. Like this isn't just about our health of people who grew up there in the past. This is about a lot of the chemicals and Danny's been researching about the chemicals out at Rocky Flats, looking at more beryllium and carbon tetrachloride and how these other chemicals can cause a lot of illnesses. Well, you know, no one's really done research on those chemicals and how it's maybe impacted the community. So that's kind of how I came to know about Rocky Flats and how I'm interested with it now is just trying to get, just advocate for more awareness because so many people, myself being one, and I lived so very close, I didn't even know what Rocky Flats was. We didn't talk about it in our families as children growing up. It wasn't discussed and it's still not being discussed. And I feel the public's at a disadvantage as a community, we should have the right to know to make a decision where we recreate and where we decide to live. But I feel people in the area aren't getting the information that they deserve. Danny, tell us a little bit about your background in connection with Rocky Flats and the journey you've gone through in your awareness of the illness that you are currently dealing with. I have my degree as a registered medical assistant. I have lots of conversations with physicians and have close relationships with physicians to where I've learned a lot about epilepsy in my time in the field. And epilepsy is the disease that you struggle with. Yes, I have had epilepsy since I was, well, we assume since I was about nine years old. At nine years old, my teachers had approached my parents with complaints of me not paying attention, I'm not focusing in class. They would ask questions of something they had just recently gone over and it was I couldn't answer. So they immediately jumped to the conclusion of ADD. Uh, my mom went, took me to the doctor and said, her teacher says she has ADD, we need to do something about this. And the doctor said, okay, here's Ritalin. So I was on Ritalin for several years and I had a grand mal seizure, which is the type of seizure that when you think of seizure, that's, that's what that seizure is. You fall on the floor, you tremor, you stop breathing, you foam at your mouth, that type of seizure. And my mom was horrified, as you can imagine, you know, that I, was, I, I had this. 
and took me back to the doctor and he said, you know, I wonder if it wasn't that she was not paying attention in class, if in fact she was having what is called pedimol or absence seizures. That type of seizure is where you will more or less space out. You are there, but your brain just kind of shuts off. You can't see or hear or respond to any sort of stimulus, which makes people think, you know, you're not paying attention to them. You're not listening to them. You don't hear what they're saying, so you can't respond to what they're saying. That sounds like it must be terrifying. It was horrible, and it was embarrassing. You know, my teachers really didn't like me very much, which was really hard for me because they thought that I was being disrespectful. We found out that I had epilepsy, and then all of a sudden I was a porcelain doll. They felt like they had to be very careful around me, that they had to walk on eggshells, that anything that they did could trigger a seizure, because nobody knows a lot about epilepsy. They don't know that I can do almost anything. They feel like I'm like I said, a porcelain doll, and they have to be very careful, which is for the first few years, you know, middle school, high school, I was horrified. I was so embarrassed. I didn't want to tell anybody. I still had absence seizures, and I would get teased by the girls in my class because they thought I was staring at them, or, you know, my teachers would get mad at me still, thinking I wasn't paying attention. They put me in two special education classes, which I did not need. But they thought that I did because, solely because I had epilepsy. They thought they had to speak slowly around me and that they had to treat me with kid gloves. And that was not at all the truth. So that was really hard for me. And that's what got me to speak out in high school about epilepsy. You know, it's hard in high school to be different, but I didn't care. Because people needed to know more about this. So when did you start? to connect or suspect there might be a connection between your time living near Rocky Flats and your epilepsy? Like I said, I'm very vocal about my epilepsy. So eventually people started to trust me and to come with me and say, Danny knows about seizures. I'm going to talk to her. So I had a friend come to me and say, I just had a seizure. How, what do I do? Oh my gosh. And she had claw marks all over her body, which is how you know that's how I know I have a seizure you scratch yourself um she had bit her tongue but her muscles were sore she said I really think I had a seizure and I'm so scared what do I do and I said you're gonna be okay you know I helped her through it and told her yes you're gonna be okay and then she had another one and contacted me again but then I had just this year at my birthday I was uh, at my best friend's house and his brother came to me and said did you know that I have epilepsy? And I said, what? No. And I've known these people since I was five years old. Did you, you really do? And he said, yeah. So then I reached out to Tiffany and I said, you know, this is rather strange. The ratio for people in the United States, according to epilepsy.com is 48 and 100,000 people will have epilepsy. And to have three people In my small area where I lived, both of these people lived within walking distance of me. Meaning you were how close to Rocky Flats? We were just a couple of miles away from 
my first friends that I told you about from her backyard, you could see Rocky Flats. So it was very definitely in proximity. What led you to reach out to Tiffany? Did you know about the Downwinders group? Did you see her? Did you hear her speak? I did know about the Downwinders group. Um, Most people who lived in that neighborhood called Countryside, most people know about the Downwinders because they've been in contact. I think they got flyers on their doors to come take the survey, if I remember right. We haven't unfortunately been able to go door to door to connect with people in any of the neighborhoods, um, although we're in the process of trying to get grant money so we can do a mass mailing. So word of mouth is the only way people really hear about us. However, the Cook versus Rockwell lawsuit, which is like 25 or something years old, was finally settled. The Cook versus Rockwell lawsuit was a lawsuit about property owners a class action lawsuit where property owners felt like their properties lost value after the FBI raided the plant because the FBI raided the plant in 1989 along with the EPA for environmental crimes. Homeowners then in the area were concerned about their property values decreasing as a result of potentially having plutonium contamination in their neighborhood, in their area. So that, I guess, was in litigation and just went on and on for years until last year it was finally settled in favor of the plaintiffs for $358 million. And so Carol Jensen, who's the professor and former nurse who started the Rocky Flats Downwinders Health Survey at Metropolitan State University, was contacted by the Cook versus Rockwell plaintiffs' attorneys and just wanted us to have documents to give people at our community meetings and things like that. So there was a large outreach to people who lived in the area around the time to see if they were eligible to join that plaintiff's list. So as that outreach, which was funded, you know, through the lawsuit, however they do that, was actually helpful to the downwinders because they helped I kind of share some awareness when people were interested in what was going on with the health issue. Because interestingly enough, with the Cook versus Rockwell lawsuit, initially there was a health monitoring piece that was supposed to be included with that, but that was later dropped. So the attorneys kind of referred people to us. And so that was helpful in terms of raising awareness because people don't really know about Rocky Flats downwinders. They don't even know about Rocky Flats. So part of the challenge we face is just raising awareness in the community about what happened in our community and the really important history that is part of that area. Danny, what happened to move you to get in touch with Tiffany And what was it that you were seeking to find out from her? What moved me was the uh, lawsuit. She was actually just talking about my parents received notification about that as well because their property value did decrease. So my mom had told me, you should go take this health survey. Go see if they have epilepsy on it. My brother also has epilepsy. Since we had had epilepsy throughout our childhood, the doctors would ask my mom, Did you do drugs? Did you drink? A family member even accused my mom of smoking while she was pregnant and that she gave us epilepsy, which that hurt me too because that really hurt my mom. She's a great mom and she didn't do any of that, but people were pointing fingers at her. 
she told me to go look at this health survey. She said, I wonder if this has anything to do with it. So I went and looked at it and it had a lot of things on it, but epilepsy was not one that was included. So I decided to write Tiffany a message on the Downwinders Facebook page. And I said, you know, is epilepsy included in this survey? Because I don't see it. And then I got a reply that said, for more information, go to our website. And I told her I did, but I don't see the answer that I'm looking for. I don't see epilepsy on that list. And I know several people in that area that have epilepsy and it is above the standard ratio by far. And so she said, okay, I'll look into it. And that's when she contacted Professor Jensen about epilepsy possibly being one of the side effects of uh, Rocky Flats. And Professor Jensen said she did have some data on that. Yeah. And Tiffany wrote me back and said, you are onto something. Let's look into this. So we did. And, and that was two weeks ago. And we've been talking to each other and doing, working so hard together every single day since. What have you been doing in terms of outreach to the community or compiling data on epilepsy rates for those people who live around the highly contaminated Rocky Flats area? It just started as a Facebook post, just on my own personal Facebook page. And I started it that way because it was the people I was hearing it from were people in my community. So I said, anybody who has epilepsy, anybody who lived in my neighborhood, contact me. I'm finding a high number of people with epilepsy in our community. Please contact me if you fit this bill. You know, from friends, I got 10 or 12 replies. And then Tiffany and I did an interview on the news and they put my email address out there. And for the newscast, I had created a physical map that showed the particular points, just cross streets, basically, of where the people lived that have epilepsy. And Tiffany and I started to see a pattern. It was in my neighborhood, and then there was another cluster right downwind from Rocky Flats in Broomfield, and then a smaller cluster downwind from Rocky Flats in Arvada. And then there's a few, I mean, there's a few scattered people, you know, a little further out. But for the most part, I'd say probably 95% of our people are in those clusters. So that's what really led us to go, We this is something. There, we've got, there's something going on here. And we need to figure out what it is. Now, you've only been doing this for two weeks. How many cases have shown up so far? So far, I have 47 confirmed cases. I have... Several more that I'm looking into a little bit more, but 47, 100% confirmed. That's astonishing. How many siblings in that? The siblings is a very rare thing with epilepsy. There's almost no chance, like barely 0.1% chance that there's going to be a family who has siblings where more than one of the children has epilepsy. So I have now, I have about eight sets of siblings in that direct area, one of which is three siblings, not just two, but three in that particular area, which is absolutely unheard of. 
the circumstantial evidence around this certainly points to Rocky Flats. What kind, if any, medical confirmation have you gotten on this? Have you talked with doctors who specialize in epilepsy about this cluster? Or is it too early yet for this to take place? I would say that we want to continue to to gather information because it is the early stages. And we're also encouraging people to complete the health survey, which is still open and, and operating through Metropolitan State University and through our website and all the data is off site, though, because I want to really make sure we're documenting all these cases of epilepsy in a in a real way that's with researchers and Danny's keeping all of her list and documenting everyone that comes in but I still want to encourage anyone to to do the health survey as well to answer the question about what are we trying to do we've spent the last 2 weeks just trying to contact anyone and everyone in terms of you know our state health department the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment we've reached out to them we've reached out to Jefferson County Health Department I've reached out to the Epilepsy Foundation of Colorado. We're trying to reach out to doctors and and we're just in the early stages of both still collecting more as people report themselves to Danny and uh, and become aware of this attempt to, to collect people's information. We're in the early stages, but we're trying to let people know that there's a concern around this issue. I I can't imagine that, you know, Channel 7 and Channel 4 both think the story is worthy of a news story two weeks in, and now we can't get a call back from our state Department of Health. And I've tried to reach out to the CDC. My understanding was if there's clusters of diseases or cancers that they are the ones who who deal with that. But they've told me that we need to go to the Colorado Department of Public Health. So we're waiting patiently. But of course, we're getting responses from people that are concerned about this. And they want to know that the government's looking into this. The health department's concerned as we are about this, as you are enough to, to have us on your show. But we're just not seeing, we're not getting any response right now, but I think we're going to continue to get data and things will, this is two weeks in. So I'm so proud to be working with Danny on this because I feel like, you know, what she's discovered is really important and it's just the tip of the iceberg. She's bringing awareness to one illness, but there's so many illnesses and we couldn't include everything on the health survey initially, but, you know, it doesn't mean we haven't seen people that have reported MS and, you know, bipolar disorder and all sorts of problems that are not cancer, but autoimmune disease. We've heard from people. I continue to hear from people um, with all sorts of illnesses. So we got to just continue to demand that our health department take our concerns seriously. First of all, great work that you're doing. And this is very similar to what happened in North St. Louis, where it was only, I believe, four years ago that some of the moms in the area by accident discovered that they were living in a subdivision that was actually next to a Superfund site with illegal radioactive waste buried in it. And in an adjacent landfill, there was an underground fire that couldn't be stopped that was encroaching upon it and one Mm. of the first things that was done by the group Coldwater Creek Just the Facts that's the way they show up on Facebook was they put out a survey not unlike what you have been doing to find out 
what the health impact was in the neighborhood. And they found an enormous number of cancers, I believe over 2,000 cancers. They found over 40 cases of appendix cancer, which is something that oncologists who had been in practice for decades had never seen a single case of. And that has led to a tremendous amount of activism there. What do you hope this is going to lead to with the current activism you are doing on the health survey around Rocky Flats? I mean, this is no accident that this sounds similar to Coldwater Creek, just the facts, because I was really, really inspired by their story. I actually, by accident, purely by accident, I saw a news story on them while I was sitting on my at my table, and I was amazed at what they've been able to accomplish in such a short time. And I've, you know, reached out to some of the people that started it and still stay in contact. But their group on Facebook is, I think it's like, over 10,000 people. So I'm just amazed at the support and outreach and connection that they've been able to make in such a short time. So that's really, we strive to make the same connection with people in the community so that we can um, get a, a accurate picture of what the health is of the community. Coldwater Creek has been a big inspiration. I mean, ultimately, if we find that there is health problems and besides the rare cancers that we're seeing and the thyroid cancer that we've noted, you know, I'd like to see medical monitoring for residents who live near the plant so they could get some preventative kinds of testing and similar to what the workers have. We have a workers monitoring program set up at at National Jewish Hospital. So there's already kind of a program set up that could be very similar and looking at whether RECA coverage, the Radiation Exposure and Compensation Act, would be something that our community would fall under. I know Coldwater Creek's going for that same thing. So they, their mission and goals line up exactly with us. So we support one, each other, one another quite a bit. I love it when activists link with each other so we don't each have to reinvent the wheel. And there is a model for this already. Danny, What are you hoping to accomplish with the work that you're currently involved in with Tiffany? I'm really glad you asked that, actually, because that's been a really common question that I'm getting from people who have reached out to me. Why am I telling this to you? What are you doing? It's a hard thing to talk about. It can be very embarrassing. So for me, what I want to do is to tell people, the Colorado Department of Health, for instance, that There are people out here suffering, suffering from epilepsy, and somebody needs to pay attention to us. Nobody does. Nobody considers epilepsy as a side effect of this nuclear plant or anything like that because it doesn't come to mind. People don't talk about it. There's not enough awareness about epilepsy out there. And I hope that this opens people's eyes to the fact that there's a lot of us out there. And in this particular community, there's a lot more of us out there. And we deserve the same kind of respect as the Colorado Health Department would give anybody else. An excellent goal to have, as well as finding some means of compensation, as well as other communities where there are heavily contaminated sites, like the Hanford site in Washington, like what exists around Niagara Falls in New York, and so many other places where people inadvertently find that they are downwind of some nuclear contamination 
regardless of how it happened, whether it came from explosions or manufacturing or waste or uranium, that they all need to know about this and organize to be able to get their own health surveys done and to start to work within the system to gain recognition, awareness for these illnesses. And you've just given a very valuable piece by adding epilepsy to the conversation and see what can be done to push for the best possible remediation to take place as well so that we stop the contamination from spreading and we get whatever relief is possible for those people who are still suffering. You talked about compensation, and that is one thing that is also very important in this situation. I can tell you if somebody without insurance, for instance, anybody who sees anybody who has a seizure is going to call an ambulance. That ambulance ride costs $8,000. These stay at the hospital, they give you saline and let you rest is another $1,500 at least. That's just for one hospital visit. I have had, not recently, but over the course of about six years, I had 10 seizures. You take $9,500 and multiply that by 10, that's how in debt I end up being. And I have no will of my own to say, no, don't take me to the hospital because I'm not conscious. My medication costs about $1,000 a month without insurance. With insurance, it's about 60. It's very expensive. It's very expensive, and it's something I have to live with for the rest of my life. I don't know whether the Compensation Act, which is in place, is extended to the civilian, the non-nuclear workers who are impacted by this, but it sounds like that might be a direction to go in. We had an interview with Terry Berry, who works on those issues, specifically around Rocky Flats, for the August 8th nuclear hot seat, number 320, if you want to look that one up. But, Tiffany, is there any kind of exploration that is going into finding compensation for those people whose health has been impacted by Rocky Flats? I mean, at this point, no. And that's, I mean, that's not been our focus because the thing that we really still need to do is build awareness and get people's health information documented in a real way. I think last time I checked, there was about 4,000 people who have completed the health survey with Metro. And I mean, when you look at the Coldwater Creek community having over 10,000 people on their Facebook page, we're just really behind in terms of participation and getting the community involved. So we're going to try to spend time doing that. I think this is so pressing in terms of the awareness building piece. And that's just about raising awareness about Rocky Flats, its history, and then also that there's concerns over the health impacts of that plan on the community. And so people like Rocky Flats Downwinders have come together to try to make people more aware. Other groups are also on the forefront. This lawsuit that's trying to stop the wildlife refuge from opening is at a good time in terms of they need to also then, as they're considering building out there, think about health studies that are being done. And no, it's not the Colorado Department of Public Health. They're not looking at the health problems out there. But does that mean we don't consider the health problems that people are reporting? I think it's timely because people that are impacted weren't necessarily just people like Kristen and Danny and I, I keep using the three of us, but we're, you know, we all lived there during the time that the plant was live. 
But the things that happened on the plant and all of the 3,000 plus chemicals that were used in the manufacturing, production, and cleanup of the nuclear weapons out there, that's not going away. So if we're seeing health problems in downwinders who lived when the plant was live, we have to think, what does this mean for our community today and in the future? And right now, it looks like they're just building as close as they can to the Superfund site and building schools as close as they can to that boundary, which, you know, the, the wildlife refuge is like a donut shape. And the inside of that donut, that donut hole is closed and it's still Department of Energy and it's you know got a containment cap that's shifting and there's problems there. It's a Superfund site. It's an active Superfund site. So they're building right on the other side of that wildlife refuge. But I question that, especially if they, we haven't done as a state accurate health studies to see what the long-term impact has been on the human health of people who lived and live near the plant now. Danny, any final thoughts you would like to share at this time? Yes, I hope that in doing this, like I said previously, that it really shows people that we are out here and we are people who are suffering as well. And we need help. We need response from anybody. I was lucky to get a response from Tiffany. I'm very glad that I did. And I'm so proud that we're working so well together on this. Uh, We were also very lucky to get in contact with the news. We hope to move forward and have more people there to support us, to, to aid us in this research, because without people like that to support us, I don't know where we'll go. I would agree that we need to raise awareness and we need to bring the community together around this, because this is part of... Arvada, it's part of Colorado. This is part of our history as a nation. And so taking responsibility for the communities that have been impacted by living, you know, near nuclear weapons sites or testing sites or reactors, we need to pay attention to those communities because the people that have been impacted, generations will continue to be impacted unless we really take responsibility about the impacts of people who live there and listen to them. We will, of course, include links up to the health survey and to your Facebook page and to your website. For now, I want to thank both of you, Tiffany Hansen and Danny Ball, for the work that you are doing and for being my guest this week on Nuclear Hot Seat. Thanks for having us, Libby. Tiffany Hansen and Danny Ball of Rocky Flats Downwinders. We'll have links up to their websites and email on our website, NuclearHotSeat.com under this episode, number 322. We'll also provide a link to the recent three-part investigative report, Colorado's Nuclear Shadow, produced by CBS Denver and reported by my old college broadcasting pal, Rick Salinger. Funny that after all these years, Rick and I are covering the same stories. This has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, August 27, 2017 the Rocky Flats Health Spotlight. We will be back with our regular format next week. If you have a story lead, a hot tip, or a suggestion of someone to interview, send an email to info at nuclearhotseat.com. And if you know a broadcast station in your area that would be interested in carrying Nuclear Hot Seat, have them get in contact by sending an email to info at nuclearhotseat.com. We are copyright 2017, Libby Halevi and Hardestry Communications. All rights reserved, but fair use allowed as long as proper attribution is provided. 
and a reminder that if you appreciate weekly verifiable news updates about nuclear issues around the world, delivered with as much humor as possible, take a moment to send a supporting donation to NuclearHotSeat.com. This is Libby Halevi reminding you that radioactive nuclear waste is forever, which means there's no way that nuclear energy is clean, green, or sustainable. There, you've just had your nuclear wake-up call, so don't go back to sleep, because we are all in the nuclear hot seat. <laughs> <laughs>